Father, Lord, we thank you for your Sabbath, and we thank you that we have the privilege of meeting here in freedom. Lord, there have been things happening in our country the past few weeks that have very been very traumatic. And Lord, we just ask that you would heal our land as we come to you and pray. And Lord, we know that the only way that you can really heal this earth that we are on is if you come and make it new. And Father, we're looking forward to that time very soon. So Father, may we be, re- may we be ready for when you return. And Lord, as we read your word today and as words are spoken, help them not to be my words because I'm just a man, but hide me behind your cross and may people see you and not me. This we pray in your precious name. Amen. You know, normally when someone speaks last words, they tend to mean something important, don't they? As someone is standing, sitting there on their, on their dead, the deathbed, and as they're laying there, and they just have a few more words to speak, generally they tend to pack a punch, don't they? Or they should. Often people are remembered by their last words. And if you had last words to speak, and if you could think about what your last words on earth were going to be to your children and grandchildren and to anybody that thought of you, what would those words be? Just think about that for a minute. I'm not trying to be morbid here this morning, but there's a few statements and a few people who have said some things right before they died that are baffling, and some of them quite deep and emotional. And others, we don't know, I have an idea what they're saying. My grandfather lived to the ripe old age of 98, and he knew he was about ready to die. And so for the last day of his life, he talked to each and every one of us and kind of gave us our own blessing. It was a beautiful thing. And I remember the last words that he said, just moments before he closed his eyes for the last time, his last words were this, had a ball. And then he died. You see, my grandfather lived a Christian life And not just a Christian life, but he loved to live life. He lived through the Depression. He lived through World War II. He lived through so many things, but yet he always had an optimistic attitude. You know, have you ever walked into an Adventist church, or maybe a Christian church for that matter, and you walk into an Adventist church that you're visiting, I hope it's not here, but as you walk into that Adventist church, you think, these aren't Adventists, they're Sadventists. You ever seen people that are just sad, but they're supposed to be Christians? Brothers and sisters, we should be happy with the message that we have. Amen? Amen. Some of the Adventist Christians should be some of the happiest people around because we have joy in what the Lord has offered to us. We have joy that he is coming soon. We have joy in our health message. We have joy for our children are walking with the Lord. We should be happy people. I don't know if you know who Bing Crosby is. Bing Crosby was one of the best crooners of his time, self-dubbed. And he sings, those of you who don't know him, he sings White Christmas. I don't think anybody should sing White Christmas but Bing Crosby. And Bing Crosby, I don't know if you knew this, but as he was just about ready to finish his game of golf, he hit his last, his last one off the tee, and as he was walking back to the club, he had a massive heart attack and died. And as he had that heart attack there on the 18th hole, as he was laying there on the grass, it's, the story goes that he looked up at his partners and smiled and said, that was a swell game of golf, fellas. And then he died. That's what he was known as. Steve Jobs, the CEO of Apple and the one that is behind probably the worst device that plagues our nation today, the iPhone, said this when he was just about ready to pass away. Wow, wow, wow. 
that he died. Very odd. Winston Churchill, in his sassy English accent, which I'm not going to try and duplicate today, although you'd probably want me to, he said this right before he passed away. I'm bored with it all. Then he died. That's profound, isn't it? There's nothing left for him. I'm bored of it all. Then he died. But the last one I want to talk about today, well, second to the last one, was a man by the name of President McKinley. President McKinley was uh, one of the presidents of the United States that was actually assassinated. And as President McKinley was there and he was giving a speech, a young man, probably just really a boy if you think about it, a young man came and he shot President McKinley. And as President McKinley fell down, he was rushed to the hospital. And do you know what his, his words were? Do not harm the boy. Do not harm the boy. And as he was there in the hospital, as they were trying to save President McKinley's life, he asked someone to come in and sing a hymn to him. And as someone in Samen sang a hymn to him, right as that hymn ended, he looked at his wife and he said, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Then he breathed his last. Now that really reminds me of what our Savior said as he was there on the cross. You know, when Jesus was there and as he was hanging upon the cross, he had the opportunity to say a lot of things, didn't he? He had the entire world looking at him. He had an audience that was just ready to soak up anything that he had to say. The crowd was there. They were finished mocking him. They were a little bit scared because of what was going on with the weather about them, right? And as Jesus was there and he could have said so many things, he chose a few words to say that might seem a little bit baffling. First of all, he did say to the Roman guards, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What a Savior. Amen. Amen. You know, when I look at the last words of Christ, and as I look at the words of Christ overall, for example, if I look at all of those words, it just, I've probably said it before, but it just baffles me and it, it just overwhelms me. With every word that Christ spoke, it had a lot of weight to it, didn't it? Every single word that Jesus spoke, there was never a word that was spoken carelessly. There was never a word that was spoken just out of order, or out of hand. But every word that Jesus spoke meant something. And he put a lot of thought behind those words, didn't he? And when it came to his last words there, right before he breathed up, it is finished. He says something that we don't think of very often. Go with me and look at this. It's in John chapter 19. John chapter 19. And he does something that is just powerful. John 19, moments before he gives up the ghost, look at what he says. John 19 and verse 26. Imagine if you would, mothers in the, in the, in the congregation today, mothers, can you imagine the child who you raised from birth into adulthood and that adult growing into a young man who was righteous and steadfast and handsome, standing there in front of his cross as he is bleeding for something that he never did. Can you imagine that? And that's exactly what Mary was going through. As Mary was there, she saw her son up there on that cross. And look what it says here, John nineteen twenty six. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, who's that? That's John. He said unto his mother, woman, Behold, thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, being John, Behold, thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. This is fascinating. 
Only, I think it's only three verses later, Jesus says, it is finished. And yet right before he died, right before he was going to go and rest for those three days and be resurrected again right afterwards, he made sure that his earthly mother was taken care of. Isn't that powerful? Jesus on his death bed or death cross, as it were, made sure that his mother was honored once he was gone from this earth. Honor your father and your mother. You know, Paul tells us that honoring your father and mother, that's the first commandment with promise, isn't it? Let's look at that. Go to Exodus chapter 20, if you would. Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to look at this promise. Exodus 20. Exodus 20 and verse 12. As we've been finding, these commandments are simply rules for keeping us from bondage and having us have a closer relationship and walk with Christ. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. This is the word that said, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God hath given thee. We're going to be looking at a couple things today, and we're going to be looking at two different sections. Number one, we're going to be looking at honoring our earthly father and mother. And secondly, we're going to be looking at honoring our father in heaven. Amen. Because we've been blessed with both sets of parents, as it were. But there's one interesting thing about this in Exodus chapter 20. It says that their days may be long upon the land which God has given you. But if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 5, why don't you turn there? Deuteronomy chapter 5, it adds a little bit of a different twist to it. In Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 16. Deuteronomy 5.16 is the second place that we find the list of the Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy 5.16 says this. It sounds the same. Honor thy father and thy mother as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee that thy days may be prolonged and that it may go well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God hath given thee. So not only is this commandment promising that we'll live a long life, but it's also promising that in that long life, it'll be a good one. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know if I'd want to live a long life if it's not a good life. I'd rather die young if it's a bad life, right? But this commandment promises that if we honor our father and mother, we will not only live a long life, but we'll live a life that does us well. Amen. If we honor our father in heaven, we're going to be making some lifestyle changes, aren't we? If we honor our father in heaven and we abide by the book, we are going to be living healthier lives, aren't we? And if we're living healthier lives, our lives are automatically going to get longer and they're going to be better, aren't they? For instance, let's say that we go to the book of the Bible, we go to the Bible And the Bible never says specifically, thou shalt not smoke, right? I wish it did. But it says something in there. It says that the body is a temple of God, right? And if you decide that you want to follow God in everything that he says, and you're going to kick that smoking habit, do you think that you're adding some years onto your life? And not only are you adding years onto your life, but are those years going to be better than they were as if you you were smoking at the same time? Absolutely, right? God doesn't want you to just live a long life, but he wants you to live a life that is happy and that is well. That's the kind of God we serve, amen? But let me ask you this question. I'm a very simple type of a guy. And when I come to words, I want the words to make sense to me. What does the word honor even mean? What's a synonym for honor? I know the one that's going to come to everybody's mind. 
Respect, exactly. What's another word for honor that's not respect? Can you think of any others? What does honor mean? Revere. Ooh, that's a good one. Obey, obedience. Yep, that's one too. You know, when I think of honor, I kind of think along the same lines. Obedience, reverence, respect, right? And all those are true, but I looked in the thesaurus and the dictionary, and I found a word that was added that I never thought about when it came to the word honor. Are you ready for it? Affection. Affection. Not only should we be honoring our Father in heaven and our parents here on earth, which we're going to be talking about in a minute, not only should we be obeying them, but we should have affection for them as well. Do you think that God wants us to have affection for him? Absolutely, right? God desires affection for us. Do you think he, has, he wants us to have affection for him? Absolutely. Now, let me ask you this question. If God asks us to honor him, do you think, and I asked this question a few weeks ago, do you think that God deserves that honor? Do you think that God deserves honor at all? What do you think? You better believe it, right? If anybody deserved honor, it would be God. Let me look at this. Let me, let me show you a, a verse for this. Go to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30, and we're going to look at verse 5. Is God honorable? That's the question we're answering. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 5. And this is something that cannot be said about me or probably anybody that I know. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word. How many words? Every word of God is what? Pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he repute you and you be found a liar. This is powerful. The reason that we should honor God is because when God speaks... Everything that he speaks comes true. Amen. Amen. And not only are all of his words true, but he protects us as well, doesn't he? Nothing comes to us unless God allows it to. God is a God that deserves respect. And for me, once I know who God is and what God is all about, it's very easy for me to respect God because he automatically deserves it because he's just so great. But the problem comes, and the elephant in the room for all of us is this. It gets really difficult to respect and honor humanity, doesn't it? Now, I had some pretty great parents growing up. My dad is a, is a man of God. My mother is a woman of Israel. She's a woman of God. Great, solid people. But you know what? Even though they were some of the best parents I can imagine, they're still imperfect, aren't they? And there are many of us in this room... Many of us who know people who have parents who father and mother weren't honorable people. Maybe that's you. I don't know. And the question may be, how can God expect me to honor a father who wasn't honorable at all? How can God expect me to honor a mother that wasn't even there? Those are some serious questions, aren't they? But I want to take you to something first, and then we'll answer that question. And it's a powerful answer. But go to 1 John chapter 2, because everything that God does is intelligent. 
The systems that God has set up are perfect, and it should be no surprise. 1 John chapter 2, verse 13. Now, I'm, writing, I'm, I'm reading this to you with the understanding that you know that you have a, a young pastor, all right? Look at what it says here, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 13. Notice what it says. I write unto you fathers, or the word can be said old people or older people. I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children because you have known the father. I have written unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men because you are strong and the word of God abideth in you and you have overcome the wicked one. I love this because what God is telling us here is that young men and older men and women should work together. Amen. I have a friend who is actually have many friends, but this one in particular is going to um, theology school in uh, one of our Adventist colleges. And he was in a class and the professor said something that didn't sit well with him. And this is what the professor told him. He's in his senior year of theology school. And this is what was said. The professor said, now, I want you to understand, class, that once you leave as a theology major and you go into your church as a pastor for the first time, you will know more than anybody in that room guaranteed. When you go into that room, you will know more about the biblical languages. You will know more about the Sabbath. You will know more about all these things because you have studied it. And I have taught you. And that didn't sit well with my friend very well. And so he raised his hand. The professor called on him, which he probably shouldn't have because my friend's a little bit of a hothead. And my friend looked at the professor and said, are you telling me that because I have spent two or three years in a theology school that I'm going to know more about Christianity than the 80 year old lady sitting in the back of my church that has lived it every single day of her life? And I think he raises a good point, don't you, don't you think? Christianity, the Bible, religion, cannot be taught in a classroom to its full extent. You can learn about the biblical languages, and that's well and good and important. You can learn about all of these things in the classroom, but true Christianity is learned every single day, one day at a time and one trial at a time. Would you agree? And the beauty about silver hair, the beauty about the Christian that has been in the church and been walking with God for decades is that he has seen God come through time and time again. Us younger people haven't had that that experience of being able to see God come through every step of the way in every single situation imaginable. But one thing that young men and women have is a lot of gumption, a lot of energy. A lot of get up and go, right? And often all that energy and get up and go is used for all the wrong things, isn't it? If you take a spiritual man or woman of God and you pair them with a young man or woman, you can get a lot done, can't you? Because as that young man or woman is going and doing the work, the older person with that knowledge can steer them into the right path. Amen. And that is what a true gospel team would be. But when God says something, he does it completely accurately. And I love what it says here in 1 John 2, that young men are strong and older men and women know good from evil. Now, let me ask you this. Many of you have been around for some time. But if you want somebody who truly knows the end from the beginning, look to your heavenly father. 
If you truly want somebody to talk to that knows that the devil is beaten, then talk to the one that was there. We have access to a seer who has been in existence before the creation of time as we know it. He was there when this earth was created. He was there when you were thought of. He was there when the sin problem came into the world. He thought up the whole salvation plan. Don't you think he knows a little bit more than I do? And maybe you do? It should be pretty obvious, shouldn't it? And yet so often when we look at this life and we have so many questions, we don't come and spend time on our knees asking him for an answer. If we truly want to honor our Father in heaven, we will communicate with him. Amen? Because that is what our Father is truly longing for. But you're asking, you haven't answered my question yet. How can God ask me to honor a parent that was never there? And maybe your parent was there. Maybe you're asking the question, how can God expect me to honor a father who abused me? How can God expect me to honor a mother who abused me? That's a very difficult question. And I think that the Bible has an answer for that. Are you ready? We're going to look in a place that you probably wouldn't imagine for this answer, but we're going to go to the old book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 2. First Samuel chapter 2 and verse 30. And as we're turning there, if you are a parent in this room, if God calls your children to honor you, we should be honorable people. If God wants your children to honor you, then give them something to honor. Amen? And the best way to be an honorable person is to serve an honorable God. Second Samuel, I'm sorry, First Samuel 2, verse 30. This is what it says. Wherefore, the Lord God of Israel hath said, I said indeed that thy house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, here it is, be it far from me for them that honor me, I will honor. And they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Just think about that. Think about all of the things that you have done in your past that God has forgiven you for. When I look at my past without Christ, I have lived a dishonorable life. Maybe you can agree with, you, with, with your life as well. I'm not sure. But all that I know is that I am a sinner, and yet God still says that he honors me. Have you ever thought of that before? You know that God loves you. Amen. You know that God chastens you because God is our parent, isn't he? Do you think he chastens us sometimes? Absolutely, right? But not only does God love you, but God honors you. Have you ever thought of that before? If God, the perfect being of this universe, can find it within himself to honor me, then do you think that I could honor my parent that wasn't there for me? What do you think? 
But why would God want me to honor somebody that does not deserve being honored? I think this is the case. I think this is the reason why. If you honor somebody that doesn't deserve honored, they're going to know something's wrong. You know, I've counseled and talked to several parents, fathers and mothers, who haven't been there for their children. And several of them have come unto me weeping because they know that what they did to their children were wrong. And just think about this. But normally, when a father, for example, beats his child in a drunken rage and wakes up the next day, he knows what he did was wrong. So many parents have come to me with so many different regrets. And they know that the way that they have treated their children was wrong. And yet their, yet their children still loved and honored them. If we love and honor our parents even when they do not deserve it, even if they deserve anything but honor and praise, and we still honor them, then that is a proof and a testament that God is living in you. And if God is living in you enough for you to honor your parent that doesn't deserve it, then it's going to lead that parent to questions. Does God want the abusive father in heaven someday? What do you think? Does God want that young man yesterday who went and shot his parents at Central Michigan University in heaven? It's hard to say it, but God wants that person in heaven. God honors the person. He doesn't honor the deeds. Amen. You can be upfront and honest with your parents, whoever it may be, and say, you know, all the things that you have done to me are dishonorable. And they've hurt me and they have scarred me for my entire adult life. But because God has given you as my father or my mother, I respect you and I love you. We can still love somebody and draw a line, can't we? Let's go to a uh, story here. Go to 2 Samuel 14. 2 Samuel 14 and verse 23. We're going to be talking about a young man whose name is Absalom. 2 Samuel 14 and verse 23. It says this, So Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, Let him turn to his own house and let him not see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house and saw not the king's face. But in all Israel there was none to be so praised as Absalom for his beauty. From the sole of his foot even to the crown of his head there was no blemish in him. And then it talks about the weight of his hair. So apparently his hair was pretty great, right? Not only was Absalom the son of David, which gave him automatic fame and popularity and riches and status and all of the things that people are looking for today that in actuality mean nothing. But not only did he have all of that, but he was gorgeous as well, right? He was a man of stature. He had a fantastic, well-built face and defined features. And his hair was long and it was flowing. Might even have years beat, Paul. I don't know. But as Absalom was there, 
All of that stature and wealth and everything that he had filled him up to where he didn't like his father anymore. In fact, all that he wanted from his father was his father's throne. And for two years, Absalom lived in the same town as his father. But did he ever go and see his dad? Nope. Not once. Until finally, he comes into David and take a look why. Verse 32. And Absalom answered Joab, behold, I sent unto thee, saying, come here, and I may send to the king. Wherefore am I come from Geshur? It had been good for me to have been there still. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face. If there be any iniquity in him, let him kill me. So Joab came to the king and told him. And when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on the face to the ground before before the king. And the king kissed Absalom. And then Absalom does something right after he goes and makes amends with his dad. But he goes and he gathers himself chariots and men. And in that next chapter, or the next few verses, David has to flee his own town. Because the hearts of Israel were not with David anymore, but they were with Absalom. And as Absalom continued to disrespect his father and disrespect his father, a day came where Absalom was riding away on a donkey from battle after he had been beaten. And that awesome hair that he had caught himself in that big tree, right? And you all know the story. And as Absalom was hanging there in his tree, one of David's soldiers came up and finished off Absalom. And when it was told David that Absalom was dead, David would have rather died than Absalom. That's a father's love, isn't it? A few years ago, quite some time ago, actually, there were some archaeologists in Israel And they were walking along one day and they found a stone or concrete pinnacle. And from about the floor to about right here, just a couple feet tall, was this pinnacle that was just there. And all around this pinnacle were stones about yay big, all right? Stones that you could throw this big or a little smaller. And they thought, that's very odd. And so being archaeologists, they like to dig, right? And so they started taking these stones and picking them off until they found that this pinnacle wasn't just a pinnacle, but it was attached to a big building. So they started removing these stones until finally they found a tomb there. And the tomb was quite large. It was about as tall as this church. Big building. And as they did research, they found that this tomb was none other than Absalom's. Absalom was buried there, or so it was said that he was buried there. And tradition had it that when the local Israelite young children did something wrong, because children are never naughty, right? But as young boys and girls did something wrong, a part of their punishment was to go with the father or the mother and go to Absalom's tomb. And there, the mother or the father would tell that young rebellious child what had happened to Absalom and how rebellion and disrespect to his father caused him death. And that young person was to take a rock and guess what he was supposed to do? Throw it at the tomb. That tomb had had so many rocks thrown at it that it covered it up all the way to that pinnacle. That's a lot of rocks, isn't it? All of those rocks represented the rebelliousness and the disrespect of parents, of of children to their parents in Israel. 
I don't know about you. But if my parents on earth deserve respecting or not, I'm going to respect them. Because my father has seen it fit to respect me for some reason. And if my God can honor a poor sinner like me, then I have to share that with somebody. And not only does God promise that if I honor him, I'm going to have a long life on this earth, but he promises something else far greater than that. Turn with me to our last verse today, Psalms 37. Psalms chapter 37, verse 28. Psalms 37, 28 and 29. This is what it says. For the Lord loveth judgment and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be what? Cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. Not only does the Lord want you to live a long and happy life on this earth, but He wants to give you a new earth. Amen? And not only does He want to give you a new earth, but He wants to give you an everlasting life on that new earth. Amen? You know, in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, it says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the what? The earth. Whenever I read that as a kid, I thought, man, the meek get gypped. Because everybody else gets said, well, they're the, they're the children of God, or the sons of God. And over here they will be filled. And they are righteous and all these different things. Then the meek inherit the earth. It would be a terrible deal if they inherited the earth as it is right now. But the meek are going to inherit an earth that is unimaginable. And the best thing about this earth is that Jesus is going to walk the streets with us. Jesus is going to walk in nature with us. And by the way, not only is he going to be making this new earth for us, but right now he is making a mansion for you. And as we think about Christ making a mansion for us, a place for us in heaven and on this new earth, it would be a shame if the father who honored you on that judgment day, which is coming very soon, came to the Lamb's book of life and your name wasn't there. Talk about a heartbreak. The worst heartbreak I believe on this earth is when a man or a woman or father and a mother whose child goes and deserts them and deserts God and lives in rebellion. That's the worst kind of hurt. Think about what Jesus did for us. Jesus did so much so that on that day of judgment, he can stand in your place and say, Father, He has a ticket to heaven. I paid for it. And he's got a house right there that I built him. Let him in. Can you imagine when he is there prepared to take your place in that judgment seat on that judgment day? When he looks in the Lamb's book of life, your acceptance letter isn't there. I don't know about you, but I don't want my mansion demolished. I don't want my name erased. All that God asks for is to be cherished. All that God asks is to be loved and honored. 
And as we've looked at these commandments one by one, we've found a plea from a heartbroken God. Because so easily, we as humanity look at this dream called heaven and we turn back to the nightmare of this earth. Don't choose this over eternity. Don't choose the scars that this earth has given you, that maybe your father or mother has given you. Because in heaven, the name father or mother, whatever it may be, but the name father who has been marred so much on this earth today, that father-son time or that mother-daughter time that you craved growing up and that you never got. And when you did, it wasn't pleasant. That time that you craved, you're going to have eternity to spend with your Father in heaven. Don't disappoint Him. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank You that You're not only our God, but You're our Father. And Lord, we know that our earthly fathers and mothers are all imperfect, some more than others. Lord, we know that you have told us to respect them and to honor them. And Father, if you can honor a sinner like me, a sinner like we are, then we can because we serve an honorable God. Lord, help us to honor you so that when you come, oh, so very soon, you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you, Lord. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.